I think the hand is forced. He is going to have to be a seller. Mentally crushing. Do you throw Matthew Barzell into that mix? You're not going to call up Lou Lamarillo's office and, and ask for that. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 129. Hi, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday, and you can find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday, and you can also find Newsday's Islanders coverage, all of it, at newsday.com backslash aisles. Coming up on this episode, you'll hear my chat with EJ Raddick of the NHL Network, as we look ahead to the March 21st NHL trade deadline and what the Islanders' strategy might be, although I think we all think that the Islanders and President and General Manager Lou Lamarillo, I think the hand is forced. He is going to have to be a seller uh, this season. Uh, That topic will also be the bulk of the questions for Andrew's answers because as we've discussed and emphasized yet again by the Islanders' 5-4 loss to the NHL Best Avalanche on Monday, the playoffs will not be a thing for the Islanders this season. It's now all about the moves that Lou Lamarillo is going to make by the trade deadline and probably, uh, more importantly, during the offseason to make this Islanders' core faster, more dangerous, Maybe younger, maybe not. Uh, That would be a good thing. And yes, probably more defensively sound. Mentally crushing. That's how Coach Barry Trotz described this season for his players following Tuesday's practice at Northwell Health Ice Center in East Meadow. And practice has become a complete rarity following the All-Star break because of how condensed the schedule is uh, through the April 29th season finale, the result of games being postponed in November, December, January because of COVID-19. There are 13 games over the final 22 games of March, starting with a back-to-back at UBS Arena against the Blue Jackets on Thursday night. And then the Winnipeg Jets come in on a Friday night. Uh, mentally crushing. You, you can see it on the players' faces after the numerous losses. And, and, and this is a team that has not won consecutive games in regulation since November 4th through 6th and has not won consecutive games at all since a three-game winning streak on January 17th through the 21st. And that was over the Flyers, the Flyers again, and the Coyotes. It, it's not so much frustration that paints the players' faces, but but more of a bewilderment in a way. They they still believe they have a team capable of going on playoff runs or on winning streaks as they did the past two seasons. There's just been no traction gained at all this season, not even after the team got healthy and the COVID outbreaks ended. Mentally crushing. This is a team where we always used to talk about its resiliency, about how comfortable the team was in the tight third period games, whether they were winning or losing. It was never the prettiest hockey, but the Islanders could grind down other teams, particularly in the playoffs, and be the stronger team over the final 20 minutes. Now, 
Well, now often you get what you get against the Avalanche. Semyon Varlamov stood on his proverbial head to keep that game 1-1 entering the third period. Really, it should have been 3-1 or 4-1 entering those final 20 minutes, but it wasn't. And even though the Islanders were turning pucks over left and right, keeping them from navigating through the neutral zone or sustaining any pressure in the offensive zone, they still had a chance to win. Yet when it became 2-1, finally, it it, it then became 3-1, 4-1, and 5-1 in in short order. There was just no resiliency once the Islanders got down that goal, and really it was the 3-1 goal that where you could really just see it on the on the players' bodies. Sure, the Islanders made it close with three goals after it became 5-1, but that didn't mask that it was a one-sided game and that the Islanders, when they needed to find that extra push in the third period to stem the momentum, uh, they just seemed resigned to their fate of another loss. And... Look, that's the sign of a mentally crushed team. And, you know, I think it stood in stark contrast because on Tuesday, uh, the Avalanche go up 3-0 against the New Jersey Devils. And and the Devils fight back. They tie it up. And the Devils go on to win that game. Uh, Mentally crushing. Uh, And you can read... Uh, as I said, Coach Barry Trotz, that's how he described the Islanders as a mentally crushed team, mentally crushing this season has been. That leads to some bigger questions. And I, I, I posed the same question to EJ Raddick in our chat, which is coming up shortly, that I did to Lou Lamarillo uh, during a private chat in Denver that Newsday and the other uh, traveling media outlet had. And and it was a simple question, which is, do you believe in this core? Um, Lou, I believe, has to believe in this core because it's the one that's essentially locked up long term. And, and there's a good chance that the loyal Lou does believe in the core just because the results have been there in the past. And, uh, and Lou He's seen the players do it before, and he believes they can do it again. But as I said, I posed that question to Lou Lamarillo, and I also posed it to EJ Raddick. And if you listen through the whole interview, you'll understand why EJ said he's not too sure he still believes in this Islanders core to be able to bounce back from this season. That this is a team that... that could very well be on the other side of the mountain now. You you know, the side of the mountain with the descent. (laughs) Uh, Time, of course, will tell, which is why this offseason will be so crucial to this franchise. I I, I believe the trade deadline will be more of getting what you can for some of the pieces and and perhaps shedding some salary, uh, if possible, and these are all things EJ and I discuss. You know, we will go over the player players, the impending unrestricted free agents such as Cal Clutterbuck, Zach Parisi, defenseman Andy Green, and Zdeno Chara, and then maybe some of the more intriguing names that maybe Lou Lamarillo could look into trading. Uh, probably the one that that's kind of come to the forefront is goalie Semyon Varlamov. And uh, EJ and I, as I said, we discuss all that. And uh, 
So I, I think the trade deadline, like I said, it's getting what you can and, and seeing if you can shed some sal- salary. There's probably more opportunity to make more or, or some more impactful changes this summer, either through trades or free agency and probably both. And, and in some ways, this is probably Lamarillo's most important offseason since he took over the franchise in 2018, because now the bar has, has just been set so much higher for the franchise. The expectations are so much higher than they were in the summer of 2018. The, the, the new arena, UBS Arena, uh, yes, it, it, it's built for revenue stream and, and to make this franchise healthier healthier than it could be in the antiquated Nassau Coliseum. It's also built as a recruiting tool for free agents. Now, it's a a team that's gone to -to back-to-back NHL Final Fours. It's a win-now core. But there's a chance, there is a chance that the back-to-back trips to the NHL semifinals will be as far as this group as constructed gets. And, And if so... When all is said and done, if that is, if that's the peak, then this will will be a disappointment, uh, despite the promise that that has been kind of put on the franchise uh, since Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz have taken over. But uh, again, we we get to that EJ Raddick of the NHL Network and I we get we get to that we discuss. Trade possibilities, trade returns, all of that. And uh, like I said, here's my chat with EJ Raddick of the NHL Network, a reporter and a broadcast very much clued into the inner workings of the NHL. And like I said, very, very happy to be joined again by uh, NHL Network's EJ Raddick. Uh, Bumped into him at the Islanders game. Uh, against the Avalanche. He's been around UBS Arena a little bit lately. And uh, EJ, how you doing? Thanks for coming on. I'm doing really well. Uh, yeah, I've been over at the, uh, the UBS for a couple of games. I was there earlier in the year in December when they played San Jose. And I just, every time I go, I'm just, uh, I'm just amazed that someone who grew up going to Islander games uh, at the Nassau Coliseum as early as 1975, believe it or not. Um, you know, I'm just amazed that they have this brand new building that's such a beautiful building, and I'm I'm really happy for the franchise and for the for the fans out there because, uh, needless to say, as as everybody knows, it's been a long, bumpy ride over the last couple of decades, and uh, you know, this is just a beautiful facility. So I hope everybody's thrilled with that, and hopefully, the honors can get themselves figured out as we go forward in the coming years and get back to where they've been the last couple. Yeah, you, you bring up the arena, and obviously, and John Ledecky has told me this, I mean, one of the, you know, besides the fact that Nassau Coliseum was outdated, they needed better revenue streams, all that, uh, another objective of this new arena is the Islanders want to be a destination for some of the top unrestricted free agents, and the, this arena, coupled with the Northwell Health Ice Center in uh in East Meadow, those two modern facilities are now a recruiting tool for the Islanders. So we'll, we'll see how much of an impact that makes this summer. But 
I, I sort of get the feeling, you know, just talking to some players here and there uh, from visiting teams, they've been impressed with this arena. So I would, I would have to think this could only help the Islanders uh, towards that objective. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, when you think back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was hard to sell it, right? I mean, the team was struggling on the ice. Uh, the facilities were, were not great. There was a lot of uncertainty about the future. Really hard to sell, you know, even your own players on staying there, more or less other people to come in. So you got to give the ownership group uh, and everybody involved a lot of credit because you're right. I mean, that's part of it is trying to, the players you have, you want them to be comfortable and you want them to be excited about being part of the community and staying and the people that, uh, you know, you want to try to recruit, you want to be able to sell them on a great lifestyle and a great facility and the best of everything. And I think the Islanders really are in position to offer that now. Now that, that of course is a, a July conversation. We're yep. in March. It's uh, March 8th. We're uh, a little bit about two weeks away from the March 21st, uh, trade deadline and you, you you told me yesterday when you, you wanted to come out to uh, UBS and just kind of get the temperature of where the Islanders are and uh, after what was kind of a one-sided yet it ended up a very bizarre 5-4 loss to the Avalanche uh, <laughs> uh, the yeah. other night what, what what did you leave what did you drive home you know what was your impression off of that well, you know, it's funny because I called the Blues Islanders game on Saturday uh, for NHL Network. That I do off the monitor here in Secaucus, so I got a good look at the Islanders on Saturday. And I also was at the Vancouver Islanders game at UBS on Thursday. So I've seen their last three games, and uh, I was really impressed with the way they played against St. Louis. That reminded me of the Islanders of the last couple of years, uh, kind of keeping – their opponent to the outside as best they could. Uh, I thought uh, Sorokin made some really nice saves in that game as well. And they get some contributions from, from Dobson and Wallstrom who are really important young players. I mean, it's so funny. They're connected in so many ways, having been drafted 11th and 12th, I think respectively in their draft year. So, um, you know, I came away from that game saying, Hey, that was a good performance. And then, you know, last night against the, uh, you know, on Monday night against the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, the Avalanche can do that to you. They're just really fast, and they make you play at a high tempo, and they can force you into mistakes. I thought Semyon Varlamov, who's obviously a big piece in all this trade deadline discussion as someone that the Islanders uh, might be able to move, uh, I thought he played very well in the game. That's odd when, as you point out, I mean, you give up five goals, you think, well, uh, you know, that's a lot. But I, I thought Marlamo played well. In fact, the game was 1-1 into the third period, and he made a number of good saves to, to keep it there. And even the goals he gave up, I mean, I have a hard time uh, faulting him for, for some of those goals. So um, it was it, it, it's kind of been a mixed bag, I guess, if you ask me what I think about it. I mean, I still, you know, I, I think that uh, – when I look at the Islanders, uh, you know, the departures of uh, Devin Tays and Nick Letty have really changed the look of their back end. Um, and, you know, some of that was, I guess, well, most of it was done with salary cap implications in mind. But, you know, you really, for me, at least I shake my head a little bit about the Devin Tays thing. I think you had to try to find a way to make that work. Didn't well in the past now. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I guess for me, I think Varlamov is the most interesting guy that could be moved at the deadline for the Islanders. Uh, Clutterbuck is another guy. You look at the, the unrestricted free agents. Clutterbuck is 
is someone that might have value for a team looking to add, uh, you know, a depth forward who's an experienced guy that brings a physical kind of uh, edge to his game. I mean, Zach Parisi has played much better of late. I don't know what the, if there's interest there or if Zach is interested in going somewhere else at this stage of things. Um, you know, there's a couple of, you know, the Chara story. He's been out right now. I don't know what the interest level there is. But, you know, I would think that the situation the Islanders are in, Lou would be looking to to move some of these pieces if he can and re, 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 uh, kind of acquire some draft picks as, as you know, they've moved picks and prospects to make a pitch over the last couple of years. Now I think they're on the other side of it. I would assume that's what he's going to try to do, but it's a tricky market. And uh, especially the goaltender market is one that's tricky. But if I was watching Varlamov last night, and I know it's been an uneven season, uh, I might be willing to take my chances on a guy that's been part of a final four team uh, over the last two years. He's been pretty good. Yeah. I, I, I want to get back to Varlamov in one second. I, I think, you know, Looking at the Avalanche and then the Blues game sort of back-to-back, I think it tells you that the Islanders are still equipped to play those physical kind of grinded-out games, which they're built for, but they just don't have the speed really to keep up with an Avalanche team. And I'm wondering if that's if you think that's something that Lou can reshape via trades, or is that more of a longer haul project that he's going to have to do, undertake via the draft well i think it is something that he could look to improve in trades and in free agency now it just depends upon how much cap space he can clear the islanders have an older group right now they've got a lot of older players that are signed for term you know the Anders lee is 31 he's signed for another four years i believe it is brock nelson's got another couple of years he's 30 palmary's got another several years he's 31 uh, Pajot has got several years left. He's 29. Uh, Josh Bailey's got a couple of years left. It's been a real tough season for Josh Bailey this yeah. year. And you really feel for him. I mean, last night, I think, and you watch all the games, Andrew. So you tell me, but I thought it was kind of a microcosm of his season to miss that chance right in front of the net. I think it was in the second period. There was a scramble in front. Yeah. And it just seemed like a tap in. And he rolled that backhand just wide of the post. And it was just like one of those ones. If I'm Josh Bailey, I probably am up at night. Like, how do I miss that chance? And, you know, this has been a really good player for this team for a while. And uh, it's he just has to be shaking his head. But so so they got a number of older guys there. And I think if you want to try to be faster, you know, you're going to have to think about some of those guys. And can you move them? And can you bring in some, uh, you know, when you look around the league, you got to look and find these guys that, that can play that that speed game. And then in the free agent window this year, because a lot of teams are capped out, you might be able to make some additions there. And they don't always have to be the high-end speed burner. Sometimes it's just like a guy like Paul Byron, for example, in Montreal. I always felt he was a helpful player for Montreal because he was so darn fast. And he helped them play faster. There's guys like that that are sprinkled throughout the league. And if you're trying to get fast and and trying to play uh, at a higher tempo. Those are some guys you could find to add to your mix that can help you get to that end. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and, and when we talk about playing fast, a lot of it, it you know, some of it is uh, skate speed, but it's also yeah. connecting on puck the movement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah puck move, and, and, and the puck movement has just 
it's slogged down a little bit for the Islanders yeah. and, and, and it, you know, it all ties in. It goes back into losing Taves and, uh, yep. and Letty and not being able yep. to transport the puck up ice efficiently. And Absolutely. Well, you, you really saw it against the avalanche where they just could not get the puck through the neutral zone for, for long yeah. stretches. And, uh, and the avalanche play Andrew with such confidence too, that they jump up and they've obviously they got a world-class player in McCarr, but they have, Taze and some other players on that back end, they play with such confidence because of their ability to make up for their mistakes with their speed. They jump way up in the play and really try to press you and make it hard for you. So, you know, that's a, that's a tough test for anybody, Andrew. I can tell you that. I mean, there's very few teams that, that can play, if any, that can play at that kind of tempo. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, and and the Islanders don't have to play at that tempo, but I, I think we can agree they do have to play faster. I agree. I agree 100%. Just like I said, I want to get back to Varlamov because I I agree. He's got next season to go on his four-year, $20 million deal. Uh, I think it's very clear Ilya Sorokin is going to be the Islanders' number one goalie moving forward. I don't think you want to be spending $5 million on a backup, even a, a good backup like Varlamov. If he gets traded, and it does seem like there should be a market for goalies out there, some of these playoff contenders are a little suspect in net. And you would think a netminder who's kind of backstop back-to-back trips to the NHL Final Four would be very attractive for a playoff push. How how high do you think Lou might be able to get the market for Varley if he does decide to move on before March 21st? Well, if you took the cap issue, cap problems for teams out of it, I don't think he'd have a hard problem at all. I think there would be a number of teams that would be you know, really knocking at his door because outside of Marc-Andre Fleury, who really does not – we're not sure what Marc-Andre Fleury wants to do, where he wants to go. There are teams that need a goalie. that I don't think he wants to go to Edmonton, for example. I don't get the sense he's going to go to Toronto. I, uh, I don't think he's going to Washington. So, like, you know – it's not an infinite number of teams that need a goalie, right? So if you take Flurry out of the picture and he opts not to move, I think Varlamov is your next option. And it's been an uneven year for him. As you know, he's been injured, and he's had some issues this year that have kind of really uh, set him back. But, again, watching last night, I thought, uh, you know, he played well. I think the Islanders will, will try to get him some games over these next two weeks to to have teams be able to see him and have him find his his way a little bit moving forward. Trading for goalies this late in the year is not something that's usually a, uh, a ticket to success. You know, we haven't seen, like where we've seen teams going all the way back, obviously, to the Butch Goring acquisition, you know, and how what that meant to the Islanders. And, you know, more recently, uh, you know, Tampa was able to add Goudreau and Coleman, and those guys really were a big part of things for that team that went back-to-back cups. Uh Usually goalie acquisitions at the deadline aren't ones that make a big difference, but there are some teams that, you know, are trying just to get into the playoffs or teams that think they could go further if their goaltending is better. So, you know, I think there'll be a market. The question will be, can you get, uh, you know, can you get a number one pick? Do you have to eat anything of that next year to make it happen? Because there's the cap implications for all these teams are, you just can't overlook them. And there's so many teams that are pushed right to it now on LTIR. I think it's got to be a record number. There's 16 or 17 teams that are into LTIR. So 
that will be the challenge. But I think, you know, again, for those teams I mentioned, you know, Edmonton, Toronto, Washington, you know, we saw Colorado last night and Francis come in and, you know, he had his struggles. And I don't know if they're 100% certain about where they sit right now. And they've got a great chance to win the Stanley Cup this year. And, you know, so I think there are teams that, that should be interested. And the question is going to be, what are they seeing of Arlamov when they come and scout him over these next couple of weeks? Do they, do they like what they see? And then what kind of arrangement can be made? And what can the Islanders get back in return? Because the Islanders could hold Varlamov and try to do something with him in the summer. But I think that there's probably a little bit more of a push for some particular teams right now. Yeah, no, I would think the market might be, you know, obviously the, the salary cap, you know, colors everything, but I would think right now there's probably a little more demand. And I, I don't know about Varley, you know, I don't know if Colorado has any interest in a, uh, uh, reunion with Varley. I think that yeah. is passed, but I, I, I do, you know, watching Colorado, their, their, their top end talent is so good. And, and that McCard caves pairing is so good, but I look at Colorado as a team that could, use a little sandpaper, a little grit and a little bottom six depth. And, and a guy like Cal Clutterbuck to me would, yeah. would fit in perfectly with that group. Yeah. And we just saw Colorado played Saturday night. They played Calgary and it was kind of a, you know, a rough around the edges type game. And I think you're right in your assessment. I think the avalanche have looked to be a little bit harder to play against this year. I I've watched those guys kind of they've stood up and fought back a lot this year in games in the regular season. And I, I agree with you. I think a veteran like Clutterbuck could be a nice piece for them moving forward. But I think a player like that could be a nice piece for a lot of teams. He's on an expiring contract. Uh, his role is pretty clearly defined of who he is and what he's been in his career. I mean, there's a lot of miles on the odometer because of the way he plays, but uh, you know, you're not carrying any, uh, you know, any, anything moving forward. So I think that there'll be a number of teams that are interested in Cal as well. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, you go down the impending unrestricted free agency, other ones, that would be Andy Green's, Dano Chara, and Zach Parisi, all who are on one-year deals. And I, I sort of feel like Lou, before he went to trade any of them, he would he would approach them about whether they actually want to be moved or not. And I, and I have... I have some doubts as to whether, you know, Andy Green, all those years in New Jersey, still has his family there. I, would he want to go somewhere for a month or two? Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm not sure about that. I'm not, Zach Parisi, you know, I know he's 37 going on 38, but he's been one of the Islanders' most effective forwards in, in how hardworking he is. And it also wouldn't shock me if Lou turns around and re-signs him for next season, although – that doesn't alleviate your getting younger issue. So, yeah. and Stano Chara, you know, he's used to being in a top six. And I wonder if a team trading for him would really be looking at, at more of that veteran, you know, depth seventh, uh, seventh defenseman type role. And I, I don't know whether Stano would be interested in that or not. I, I think you make all great points, Andrew. And I think you're right. I think Lou would talk to each of those guys i think he's got a world of respect for zidane ochara so i think out of that a respect for an amazing and legendary career i think he would have that conversation he's got long ties with zach parisi and andy green so i'm sure he would have conversations with them and then it would be is there a market at all 
for them? I mean, any of these guys, Andrew, I don't see the Islanders getting a big haul for. I mean, no. you know, you're getting maybe a back-end draft pick, and that's probably it. I think it would be up to the players if they want to chase it, right? I mean, Jar has yeah. already won a Stanley Cup. I think he's kind of nearing the very end of his career now. He'll be 45 a couple of days before the trade deadline. So um, I think it'll be up to all those guys to see what they want to do. And if there's a market for their services, I think you nailed it on all all three. I, I think the bigger thing for the honors moving forward is what can they do with guys like Bailey and Palmieri and, yeah. uh, you know, some of these guys that are signed for two or three or four more seasons that are older players that will allow them to infuse some younger guys into the lineup. I mean, you know, that's, I mean, even a guy like Casey Zizekas has been a really helpful player. And like, you know, he, he just ends up getting a new contract and it's not a ton of money for what he's been able to do. But it's two point five against the cap for what is it? Well, five more the, years after this yeah, one. I mean, that yeah, takes, takes him into his late. Yeah, it takes him into his late thirties, and you know, Matt Martin's got a couple of years left. And again, it's not a big contract, and he's an effective player at what he does. But you know, can the Islanders infuse some younger pieces to the puzzle? And are they willing to start to allow Wallstrom to have a bigger piece of the pie? I watched the game last night, and I saw. You know, on I think it was the comfort goal. Wallstrom came in. He got in too deep. I'd have to probably talk to Barry Trotz about what he expects. Defensive zone coverage on that play. Maybe it's his fault. Maybe it's not. But he made a kind of a weak play in the neutral zone and then came in and got kind of, uh, you know, comfort for whatever reason, found himself in a really good shooting area and he scored. So, like, at some point, the tough love, you know, you need to, you know, he's a young kid. You want to try to teach him you know, the, all the different aspects of the game and to play within the system, but they're going to have to start to give these guys a little bit more bite of the, of the apple, so to speak, because they've got to infuse some younger players into the group. And, uh, you know, so I think that's the bigger picture for me with the Islanders in terms of, you know, moving forward is, I mean, I still a huge fans of Pelic and Pulak. I think Bayfield's been a great bargain for them for a long time on the right side. No adoption. I mean, if there's any, the two shining lights this year have been Sorokin has continued to play well. And yeah. Noah Dobson is becoming a star defenseman. I mean, uh, he is really lighting it up. I love the play he made on uh, on Saturday against the Blues when he, he kind of looked off the shot and got the puck to Nelson who scored on the power play. So you're set pretty much with four guys there. The question is, do you have anybody below that can come in and play. I mean, I know they had the one kid they brought up earlier in the year, and the name is escaping me right now. I think it's a Finnish player. Oh, on are you talking about Aturanti or Simon Holmstrom? Yeah, yeah why? Well, as one of those, they had called up a couple of these kids early in the year when they had all the injuries and all right. the and the COVID issues. And uh, you know, Robin Salo, that's the oh, one. Oh, Robin Salo, the defenseman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, can is is someone like that ready to come in and help them? To get back to your point earlier in our discussion is to transport that puck and, uh, you know, to be a helpful player in that regard. So, you know, to me, that's going to be the thing in the offseason is can they maybe move uh, a Bailey or, you know, someone else in that group, uh, a Palmieri, or that, that can alleviate some cap room and allow them to get a little bit younger. Yeah, I'm just looking through the roster. I mean, 
the difference between Palmieri and Bailey. And, and Palmieri has actually started scoring goals again. So you would think that play better of late. Yep. Yeah. He, he might be more attractive again this summer, but he's got a no trade clause while Josh yeah. Bailey has no cloud, no clause, no, you know, doesn't yeah. have anything on his contract. The problem is it's 5 million against the cap, not only for yeah. next season, but the year after, yeah, twenty three, twenty four, and if if you're getting diminishing returns on Josh Bailey, you're probably going to have to, you know, keep some of that contract, and also, you know, probably move a prospect to to to, to move Josh Bailey at this point. I would think. Yeah, that's a, this is the, this is going to be the challenge, and it's you know, you get into these this window with a team that got close for consecutive years, and when that happens, and you're trying to keep guys together, and you're trying to make another kick at it. And, you know, listen, since, since Lou and Barry got there, I mean, boy, they've, they've done a lot of good things. And Barry Trotz has come in and given that group structure. I always, you know, going all the way back to when, you know, Tavares left and that whole situation unfolded, I, I always felt that the Islanders, more than anything else, needed structure. And even with Tavares leaving, I felt like, you know, goals I didn't feel were the biggest problem. I just felt they didn't defend well. And Barry has come in and really brought that structure. And Lou brings all that credibility with him. And he's, they've done a lot of great things. But unfortunately, you get tied to guys and you've gotten close. And when you don't win, and it's a 32-team league, and there's only one team that wins, you start making, you know, you do contracts that eventually, and all the teams are, are guilty of this at some point, you start, you know, making deals with the hope that, hey, I can get enough out of this guy to win now. And then I'll worry about the next, the, the last part of that contract later. I think they've got to that stage with some of these players, and it's going to be a challenge to, you know, maybe you're looking at buying out of Josh Bailey at some point. Uh, but these are the these are the things that you're going to have to consider because I don't know what the market is for a guy that has three goals this year and is, you know, 32 years old. And although I think Josh Bailey still has a lot to offer, but he's his contract. If his, if he was on an expiring contract, Andrew, yeah. I think there might be takers. For Josh Bailey, because of his experience, his playoff experience, and he's a good playmaker, but with two more years left at that number, it's going to be awfully difficult. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. Uh, just last question, and just sort of you know building off of what you're saying, and we asked Lou Lamarillo, uh, Kevin Kurz from the Athletic, and myself when we got him for a private sit down in Denver the other week. Um, the question we asked Lou was do you still believe in the core? And I think, you know, Lou is contractually bound to say he still believes in the core, but yeah. EJ, do you believe in this core? Do you think <laughs> they can turn it around and, and, and get back to where they were, you know, with work in the margins and, and, you know, bringing in some faster players in the off season? I, I think it's doable to be more competitive. I mean, this year is kind of a, it was a crazy year, right? I, I go back and again, you know all the games, but I and, and so you'll know exactly where I'm going here. But I thought the honors that 13 game road trip was going along as good as could be expected until the third period of a Sunday night game in Minnesota. Yeah, and they they the Wilds who at that time was finding ways to win those type of games, like so it was just the timing in life. If you played the Minnesota what right now, they're two and eight in their last 10. Maybe you win that game. But Minnesota rallies, they win the game. The honors go then to New Jersey, get shut out. Then they got Florida and Tampa back-to-back. Good luck for anybody. They lose both <laughs> of those games. 
Then they come home and then the COVID situation really blows up. Yeah. And so to me, that was the, that was the couple of weeks where everything kind of went wrong. So, you know, and then going to that time, I remember I did, I was out there to do a, a test game at, for San Diego or for uh, San Jose television. It was, it's kind of a long story, but I had to do the research on both teams. And the bottom line is I kept coming up with this guy has no goals in his last 12 games. This guy has no goals in his last 15 games. This guy has two points over 30 games. They really had a lot of struggles in that first half, finding ways to score. And you mentioned like Palmieri struggled, Bailey struggled. Uh, you know, Parisi was not, playing the way he's playing now. I mean, they had all kinds of problems at the start of the year. So I think if you if you just try to move forward to next year, they still have a really good young goalie in Sorokin. They've got some real good pieces on defense when you think of Pulak and Pelik. Well, I'm a huge fan of both of those guys. Dobson has emerged, as I mentioned. Mayfield is still a real good player on a great contract. Uh, so you got to add a little bit back there to help. I think if you can move around the edges, maybe move one or two of those forwards, the older guys, now you can add a piece or two. I think the Islanders can be much more competitive again next year. And Barry's a great coach. So I think there's there's hope there. But can they get Oliver Wallstrom into the lineup more and live with some of his mistakes and try to continue to coach him up? Can they make something out of Kiefer Bellows? You know, I mean, can some of these younger players kind of push upward from Bridgeport? That'll be the question for the Islanders, but certainly, uh, you know, when you say, do I believe in the core as it exists? No, I, I, I think that run is, is kind of past them, but I think with some work around the edges, they still have the important pieces, which is a top four group of defensemen and a goalie and, uh, and Matthew Barzell, who we haven't brought up yet. I mean, he's still a very good, talented young centerman to start with up front. Nelson is still a good player. Lee is good around the net. Pajot still does what he does. Bovillier still skates well. I mean, like, there's still a lot of good pieces there, but it needs to be manipulated. It needs to be retooled a little bit. Yeah, and uh, you're right. We haven't talked about Matthew Barzell, and he's got one more year left on his deal at $7 million, which expires after next season, and perhaps – you know, that, that, that'll be the biggest question next season. He's going to be a restricted free agent, so the Islanders do have some control there, but you might have to do a really good recruiting job with Barzell, uh, Lou, and Barry to show them that they have the vision to uh, keep this team where it needs to be. And he's got a base salary in his final year of his contract of $10 million, which means I believe he's QO'd off that number. Yeah. And that creates uh, more cap challenges. We can only hope with the world kind of inching back to normalcy that the salary cap number will go up a little bit and that will give them a little bit more room. But, you know, that's a huge question as well, Andrew. I mean, do you th- I think in the in the quiet rooms for Lou Lamberlo, Barry Trotz and upper management and ownership there, they've got to be they have to ask the question, is Matthew Barzell the guy offensively that could take us where we want to try to go? because we're going to invest a lot of money in them. We're going to have to invest a lot of money in them over probably seven or eight years. Yep. We better be sure that we feel he's the guy. And if we're not, well, then you got to start to think about other options. Yeah. Uh, he's When he's going good, he's just so dynamic to watch. And you, yep. you, 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 you sort of want to feel something's there, but I agree with you. It, it's not as an easy a decision as you think it yeah. should be. So, yeah, yeah. Listen, great stuff. And uh, as always, great chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time. 
Andrew, thank you very much. I enjoy your work all the time. You got you do a great job, and uh, it was great to see you the other night. Yep. And let's hope we can do more of that in the future. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'm not going anywhere, so I'll be around. And all listen, right, Jay, all the best. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you all soon. All right. Take care. So thank you very much again to EJ for being so gracious with his time. Just great catching up with him whenever he's around the rink. Uh, fun guy to talk to, good friend. Um, great catching up with him this week at the rink. And uh, so thank you to EJ and thank you for your questions for Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And let's start right in uh, at Yank from Lower 48 via Twitter says, Will the Islanders package some of the Bridgeport guys for anything, avoiding another Michael Dalcal situation? Do any have real value? And uh, it's kind of a good question. I think we'll see. But the guys at Bridgeport that have real value, and, you know, this is probably true uh, most of the time, but some of them... You know, do you want to part with a Robin Sallow? Do you want to part with a uh, Samuel Bullduck? Um, you know, what what can an Aturati get you? Is anyone, is any other franchise still high on Simon Holmstrom? I, I'm not quite too sure. You know, other than Sallow and Bullduck, uh, and probably Ratty, uh, there, there, there probably should be some... Uh, uh, interest there. Is there any interest in Durando? Uh, you know, I know, uh, uh, the Islanders brought up Parker Wotherspoon, uh, instead of Robin Sallow, the other game, you know, was that trying to get Parker Wotherspoon's name out there? Maybe, uh, for other teams to, to, to think that the Islanders consider him a, a defense prospect, at this point, you know, I mean, we've been hearing about Parker Wotherspoon and Mitchell Van de Sumpel, and they just haven't made it yet. Um, so I, I, I don't quite know how much uh, value there is uh, for for some of those guys. Uh, you know, and you saw Otto Koivula uh, up again, and uh, he, he's a guy, you know, at one point we thought maybe he'd be a candidate to replace Casey Sezikis as a fourth-line center. They re-signed Casey Sezikis for six seasons, this being the first season. So uh, I don't know how much of a, a spot Otto Koivula has at this point, but I also don't know, you know, if you talk about real value for these guys, as EJ said, you're probably looking at, you know, some of the picks in, in the lower rounds, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, uh, around there, and and probably closer to a fifth than a sixth. So, uh, you know, I, I don't see the Islanders really packaging some of those Bridgeport guys and, and bringing much back of anything, unless you're making a bigger deal and you're including some of your upper prospects. And again, you know, the guys that other teams are calling about are, are the Noah Dobsons, who is just absolutely untouchable, or you would hope he would be. And uh, uh, Oliver Wallstrom, I, I don't know what kind of calls they might get on Kiefer Bellows, probably some. Uh, I would think at this point, now that Kiefer is playing more regularly in the NHL, but those guys, uh, you know, would probably be part of a bigger uh, package than uh, individual trades. Um, let's see. Will Forthman asks, 
and, and I'm sorry, Will, I, I, I couldn't come up with a, a specific example, but Will, Will Forthman asks, has a situation like Austin Zarnick uh, playing Islanders games, claimed on waivers, playing for Seattle, getting picked back up from the Islanders, and playing for the team again happened in the past for the Islanders? It seems like a quirky situation. Um, organizations do like their players and, and sometimes losing a player on waivers is just a necessary evil in, in the way uh, the, the whole process works with, with getting a guy down to the AHL. I couldn't come up with a specific example and by saying I couldn't come up with a specific example, I did not go back uh, to 1972 and find comb tooth, uh, you know, <laughs> every single waiver uh, that the Islanders have gone through. I, I do know, w- without coming up with names, th- this situation has come up before, where where a player, where an organization gets a chance to get a player back it likes and, and does do it. I mean, it, and it's not just in hockey. Uh, you know, it's happened in other sports, uh, specifically football, plenty, but I know it's also happened in baseball a, a bunch as well. Andre Minasian, and I feel like I pronounce your last name different each week, so Andre, I apologize for that. Um, Andre asks, does Josh Bailey and or Semyon Varlamov get moved before the deadline, or is it an off-season move? Any chance they start next season on the team? Do you think Philip Forsberg of the Nashville Predators gets moved, and can you see the Islanders doing sign-and-trade? A um, lot to unpack there. Let me uh, try and uh, peel the onion layers here. Uh, as you heard EJ and I discuss I, I I think we both think that there will be a market for Semyon Varlamov and now might be the time to trade him. Uh, I, I think if there is a market for Josh Bailey, I, I think Lou Lamarillo is going to have to seriously consider that. And as you heard EJ and I discuss, th- th- there should be some market for a Josh Bailey, but I, I couldn't tell you that with an absolute certainty. Um but I think those are guys, if they are going to get moved, I, I, I would think by the deadline is, is the time to move them. Um, any chance they start next season on the team? Yeah, yeah, there's certainly a chance. I, I certainly think Josh Bailey probably has a much better chance of starting next season with the Islanders uh, at this point than Semyon Varlamov. Uh, that, that would be speculation. Uh, do I think... Philip Forsberg gets moved, and uh, that that's a real tricky situation because his next deal with Nashville is going to have to be more expensive than Matt Duchesne's, and uh, you know, so you're talking about probably nine million per for Forsberg over one of those long term, you know, seven year deals. Uh, so, and and that's why. Uh, to this date, uh, Forsberg has not been re-signed, although I, I, I certainly think Nashville GM David Poyle certainly would like, definitely like to uh, get this done. And, and, you know, the track record is Nashville and, and David Poyle more often than not does get it done, even when guys like Philip Forsberg 
show up in the trade rumors, although, you know, they have moved on. Shea Weber gets traded out of there. Uh, there there have been trades out of Nashville. I happen to think, I mean, Philip Forsberg is a special player, um, and I think, uh, you know, what John Hines is building down there with, with David Poyle is very reliant on having Philip Forsberg. So, uh, to me, they get this figured out and they go a different direction if they have to move some salary. Um, look, if Forsberg is available and if the Islanders can move out some salary, uh, that that's a guy you look into signing because he can uh, he can certainly uh, you know make some plays and he can pot some goals and uh, he would look pretty good in the Islanders lineup or you know in any one of the thirty two NHL teams lineups. Um, Patrick Tracy says with the presence of two goalies of Russian nationality on the roster, any discussion of the inherent risks of, uh, uh, of whether, you know, is should players from that nation not be able to get work visas to play next year? How will this impact the draft and NHL teams in general or too early to know? Well, you see the NHL breaking ties with the Russian uh, Hockey Federation and uh, the KHL. And yeah, it's going to be much tougher to get players uh, over from Russia as long as this invasion of the Ukraine is going on. Uh, the, The world community is going to continue turning away from Russia. Um, so I, I do think there will be an impact. It will not be as easy, uh, to scout Russian players. Uh, so that will have an impact, uh, the Russian players that would come over to play Canadian juniors and be scouted that way. Uh, that, I, I think that, uh, is not going to be able to happen, uh, for a while. Um, so yeah, there will, will certainly be an impact, we have not gotten to the discussion yet of uh, work visas to play next season. Uh, and, and to be honest, it's a very good question. I, I, I've wondered this, you know, uh, do, do, do Ilya Sorokin and Simeon Varlamov, you know, I, I know they have families in Russia. Do they want to go back to Russia uh, at this point for the summer uh, like they would normally do? Uh, because I, I do think, you know, if this gets worse and worse, yeah, there, there certainly is a risk of, uh, whether those players would be able to come back. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, like I said, their families are over there. Um, and and that's a strong pull as well. So I, I I don't want to say the wrong thing because I I don't have all the information and I don't think anyone really has of exactly how this is going to play out. But it's not only a concern, I I think with each, you know, with each day of this conflict, it becomes a a growing concern on a day-by-day basis. Um, Connor Hickey says, Do you think the Islanders recognize that they are too slow as a team and they will try to address that? Um, Simple answer, yes. You're seeing the same thing I'm seeing, which is the same thing that Barry Trotz is seeing, and it's the same thing that Lou Lamarillo is seeing. Um, And they have more trained hockey eyes than you or I do. Um, regardless of people's feelings uh, at this point for Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz, look, they're just seeing the game on a different plane. They do see it differently. And, you know, 
if we're seeing it, they certainly see it, and it is absolutely something the organization has to address. Marty Johnson says, why are reporters unwilling to ask Barry why he chooses to use Josh Bailey over Oliver Wallstrom as an extra shooter uh, when Bailey has three goals? Look, we, we, we've been... Uh, I don't know how much of the uh, post game or, or, or any of the zooms. Now that everything, uh, I, I find that now that uh, all the interviews have have been made available by Zoom, everyone is suddenly, uh, you know, an expert on on conducting post game press conferences and how journalists should be doing our jobs. Um, that that aside. We have been asking about Oliver Wallstrom questions. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure at some point we've asked, I, I, I'm pretty sure I've asked uh, about the six on five. Uh, in fact, I remember asking that within the past month. Um, maybe you didn't catch that post game. Uh, there was one game, it was the game where Wallstrom scored a goal with four minutes to go. And then was not used on the six on five and actually did not see the ice again uh, for for the last four minutes of the game. And I distinctly remember uh, asking Barry about that. Um, and he did give me an answer on that. And it was basically, um, it was, you know, they do practice this scenario uh, in practices and, and Bailey was part of the six on five unit. And, uh, specifically for that game, uh, I, I know Barry said that Josh had had a couple of shots, uh, on the six on five, and then they called the timeout to keep that unit together. And that's why he stayed out over Wallstrom. That that's that one specific one. You're right, Marty. I did not ask uh, after this last game about that specific uh, instance where Bailey was out on the ice instead of uh, Wallstrom. I believe for the six on five against the Avalanche. But uh, I have. I, I wouldn't say reporters are unwilling to ask Barry about that because I, I personally have asked Barry that specific question. Um, All Things Isles says, who on the roster currently won't be there next year? And uh, could be a full list. I I, I think you start, probably the easiest to name would probably be Cal Clutterbuck and and probably would be Zdeno Chara. I think there's a decent chance that, you know, Andy Green may have come to the end of his run with the Islanders uh, and just going through you know, and, and then it's really anyone's choice. I mean, Zach Parisi is at the end of a one-year deal, but I could certainly see the Islanders bringing him back, uh, as we've discussed. You know, if you can trade Josh Bailey, and that's a $5 million cap hit through 24, I, I think fiscally you have to consider that. I, I, I really don't see any way Simeon Varlamov is back next year because you, you can't pay uh, a a backup goalie five million against the cap and and look that's just what it is right now Ilya Sorokin is the Islanders number one goalie going forward so I certainly expect the Islanders uh, to look for a cheaper option as a second netminder um, and then you know it just depends on what is available 
what other teams are asking for. You know, it, it could be a whole bunch of people. Uh, you know, we, we'll discuss this a little bit more, but you know, teams are going to call about Anthony Beauvillier, I would think. I don't think Kyle Palmieri is going to be able to be moved. Uh, EJ and I discussed that. Uh, Scott Mayfield is on a very team-friendly contract, and you know, uh, other teams will look at that and possibly try and pry him away. Uh, but again, the core, you know, and when I say the core, it's Anders Lee, it's Jean Gabriel Pajot, it's Brock Nelson. Uh, most likely, Casey Sezikis is going to be back. Uh, Palmieri will be back. I certainly. I believe Wallstrom is going to be back. Noah Dobson's going to be back. Uh, Pelik Pulak is going to be back. Sorokin's going to be back. Those, you know, as I go through the roster, those are the ones where I think I, I would consider the core. Um, it, it, it certainly will be interesting. Um, Richie McKell says, do we have anybody that another team would want? And, uh, yeah, I've sort of gone through some of that. Uh, Anthony Beauvillier is an interesting one. Uh, although, if you trade away Anthony Beauvillier, if you're trying to get faster, well, now you've gotten a lot slower uh, as well. Uh, and as you heard EJ and I discuss at the end of our conversation, do you throw Matthew Barzell into that mix as well? Uh, you know, Certainly other teams would want him. And I think the Islanders, you know, having gone through the John Tavares situation are really going to have to gauge whether they can sign Matthew Barzell long-term or, or whether that's the right thing for the franchise. Uh, he would be a hard guy to lose and they're not going to lose him for nothing because he's a restricted free agent. But uh, EJ made it a, a very good point saying the qualifying offer is going to come in off his $10 million salary, even though his salary cap hit is $7 million. So that, 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 that could be very interesting. Uh, Cordup says, uh, who did the fans have to press to get replays at UBS Arena for all goals and reviews? Obviously, uh, you're not going to call up Lou Lamarillo's office and, and ask for that. Um, it, my, my best advice would be, probably to call up your uh, season tick rep, ticket uh, rep and and start there and uh, and, and just send emails or, or make inquiries there as to who you know why why there are no replays and and how to possibly get that uh, changed although I think we know the answer there uh, Gerard Donnelly says um, because of how unproductive Beauvillier has been for them this year, would you consider moving him for the right return? And Anthony Beauvillier goes through streaks where he's productive and then he goes through streaks where he's not producing points. And that's that's been him throughout his career. And, you know, I, I know Barry Trott said he was expecting breakout seasons from Anthony Beauvillier either this season or next season. I, 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 I sort of think at, at Bo's age, you know, this is this is who he is as a player. And, and, you know, he brings, he does bring a lot to the team. He's become one of their best 200 foot forwards in terms of playing a two way game. Uh, him and Pajot, uh, uh, certainly does the same. Um, and, and he does bring speed 
But this is what you're going to get from Bo. Uh, you know, stretches where he's scoring and stretches where he's not scoring. And would I consider moving him for the right return? Absolutely. I think you have to. Spencer Sachs says, fourth line question, what to do about it? Uh, his buddy, uh, Joe Ornstein, NYC, disagrees with me that I feel Lou should keep the line together. He believes Cal should be traded. What are your thoughts about it? And yeah, uh, look, Cal is 34. He's He's been a really, really, really good Islander. But if you're trying to get younger, I, I just... I, I can't see signing Cal to another three-year deal, even though he's probably been one of the Islanders' best forwards this season. Uh, and I can't see letting Cal go for nothing just because, uh, you know, they're not making the playoffs this season, so you want to bring back some assets. So, I, again, I, I sort of think that, that the hand is forced here. Um, and, and that Cal does have some trade value around the league. So, you know, that, that fourth line has been very good. And it, it's very interesting because you got Martin signed uh, another couple of seasons. You got Zizekas now signed for five more seasons. Um, and that trio has always been about the sum of the parts, not the individual parts. And you don't know how detrimental to Sezikis and Marno will be without Cal there. We've seen it in the past where the line just doesn't function. But at the same time, can you afford to keep getting older on that line? Or, you know, you still got Ross Johnson signed. He's got a four-year, $4.4 million extension that kicks in next season. And he has not been able yet to become a full-time NHL player. But, you know, I, I certainly am on the side that at this point, uh, the best thing for the franchise is probably to see what they can get for Cal. Um, Anthony Depperman says, the team is horrible and the past two years were not full seasons and this team squeaked in the first year and again last year. This full year just shows you how much we need. Barry gets credit, but his coaching style is causing this team to suffer. And I, I you know, I, I fundamentally disagree with that last sentence. And I, I guess that wasn't a question, but a statement. It's It's a bad year. Yeah, it, it, it's a disappointing bad year because this was a Stanley Cup or bust season and it's going to wind up being a bust season. But uh, again, uh, you know, I, I you, you almost have to reserve full judgment until after you see what changes Lou makes during the uh, offseason. And, uh, you know, Barry, Barry the, the fan base has turned on Barry pretty quickly this season, but... He has not forgotten how to be a good coach. And, and I think he is, you know, I think you're going to see dividends with Wallstrom down the line, just as you did with Noah Dobson. So uh, uh, Thomas Boyle says, when will the NHL hold the refs, uh, I guess, NHL player safety in the Toronto war room accountable for their mind-blowing decisions? The refs let the game get out of hand yesterday and that non-goal uh, at Colorado cost them the game. Uh, the league does hold the refs accountable. Everything is reviewed. I I can't say the same for the NHL player safety department. Uh, that could be a whole podcast there. But um, 
And as far as the Toronto War Room, look, everything's on video, and they must have seen some angle to overturn that call, uh, Sebastian Ajo's goal at Colorado. They saw they saw something that we didn't. I, I found it curious because it was called a goal on the ice. Um, so they must have had irrefutable evidence to overturn it. Otherwise, they couldn't. But it, as far as the refs, look, uh, every game is reviewed and graded, and, and the referees get get grades. And the referees who do not grade out well, they, they do not get uh, uh, the, the, the playoff assignments. So there, there is accountability that way. Um, I, I will say that. That is the end of the queue for the questions. And that's the uh, end of episode 129 for Island Ice Podcast. And uh, again, thank you to everyone who submitted questions. I really enjoyed the dialogue. Keep them coming uh, in the next episode. And again, thank you so much to EJ Raddick of the NHL Network for hopping on in the, uh, the discourse we had leading into the March 21st trade deadline. And we'll get another podcast out uh, before we get to the trade deadline where things maybe have a little bit more clarity. But until then, uh, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday, again on Twitter at agrossnewsday, and all the Islanders' content, including back episodes of Island Dice Podcast, are available at newsday.com backslash aisles. And until the next episode... Happy hockey, everybody.